when it comes to shoe topics, I think collaborations are always one of the most interesting and loved topics of mine that I could just go on and on about. Me too. This is take two of part one of our Welcome, everybody. episode on sneaker collaborations. Had some technical errors, so this episode's coming out a little bit later. My mic had some issues, sounded like a couple of monkeys fighting in a gunny sack. Welcome to the Immortal Souls Podcast, where we explore the history, stories, myths, legends, and hype that make shoes what they are today. We are Jared and Nick, two brothers with a passion for shoes. We are excited to have you along for the journey. So jumping back in and going way back into time, we're going to look at the words, the wise words of Aristotle, who once said that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And these are wise words to be sure. But what do they have to do with sneakers? And so in this episode of the Immortal Souls podcast, we are going to talk about sneaker collaborations. What are they? When did they start? Why do they matter? What do they mean? Just one second. We're good. You don't have to stop the recording. Um, do you have your setting on ATR? I do. Okay, we're good. Okay, continue as you were. Um, does it sound like it's not? No, I, it sounds fine. You just sound slightly faint, but not too bad. I'm trying. To, I, I'm even more further away. I'll up the volume. Oh, yeah, you're fine. You're when good. I, Sorry. I just, I, if you want to make it even easier, you know, just for your editing, you feel free to, to say that first paragraph again if you want. And I'll just I'll stay quiet. No, you're fine. Thinking about the word collaboration, be it in fashion, music, tech, gaming, or whatever... The word collaboration has become much more widespread in recent years. People are working together and collaborating. The same can be said for sneaker collaborations. The sneaker has become a prime canvas for innovation between sneaker manufacturers and athletes, musicians, artists, celebrities, and even charitable organizations. These cross-promotional collaborations, or collabs, have ushered in a new era of cultural complexity around sneakers. Once thought of as chunks of rubber, glue, and leather, collaboration has turned sneakers into vehicles of storytelling. They are wearable pieces of art that can offer insight into society. And really, collaboration has pushed sneakers into the territory of something much more significant than just shoes. Sneaker collaborations make up just a small portion of the $21.2 billion sneaker market, but sneaker collaborations also generate some of the industry's biggest buzz. 
What's interesting is that those developing these projects aren't really staking their efforts on a direct financial payoff. Really, they're banking on visibility. Despite their popularity as a business strategy, not all collaborations resonate with the public. There has to be a genuine connection between the brands. It has to be strong, the product has to be strong, and the story has to come alive through effective marketing, whether it be through influencers or experiential activations, whatever it might be. When Sneaker Collabs first started, it really was a true partnership with a brand and another entity. But over time, we see the word collaboration has definitely become diluted. If something is stamped as a collaboration, customers will flock to it. And shoe brands know this. And knowing this has helped some collaborations turn more into a money grab, an inauthentic way for people to make a quick buck. It's really hard to pin down a definitive first shoe collaboration as far as when it all happened, but I think that a good starting point is the Converse All-Star, also a type of shoe that many know as Chucks or Chuck Taylors. Which is interesting to me because I had no idea that this was even a collaboration. I just had always thought that you know it was just the name of one of the models of the converse all-stars right or i thought you know maybe he was one of the founders of converse yeah so this is all new to me this is definitely interesting stuff right yeah for me too um i initially thought that chuck taylor yeah was either a founder or maybe he was the original creator of the shoe but the chuck taylor actually goes back a little bit further than chuck taylor himself so Mark, uh, excuse, it's either Marquis or Marcus Mills Converse, founded the Converse Rubber Shoe Company in 1908 in Malden, Massachusetts. In 1917, the company designed the forerunner of the modern Chuck Taylor shoe, or all-star shoe, but they marketed that shoe under the name of non-skids because they were skid-free shoes that could be used on courts, on inside courts. The shoe itself was composed of a rubber sole and canvas upper, and it was designed specifically for basketball players. In 1921, Charles, or Chuck Taylor, so here we see Chuck Taylor enter the picture, who was an American semi-professional basketball player, joined Converse as a salesman. Within just a year of Taylor's arrival, the company had begun adopting his ideas for improvements to the shoe's design in order to enhance the shoe's flexibility and ankle support. The restyled shoe also incorporated the distinctive All-Star logo on the circular patch that protected the ankle. Quickly thereafter, Taylor's signature was added to the ankle patch as his personal endorsement of the shoe, and the shoes became known as Chuck Taylor All-Stars or what many consider to be the first celebrity-endorsed athletic shoe. And it's one of the very first examples we see of a sneaker collaboration as we know it today. To promote sales of Converse All-Star shoes to basketball players, Taylor held basketball clinics in high school and college gyms and YMCAs all across the United States, 
where he would go and tour and teach the fundamentals of the game of basketball. During the 1926-27 season, Chuck Taylor also served as a player manager of the company-sponsored basketball team, the Converse company-sponsored basketball team, which was appropriately named the Converse All-Stars. The Chicago-based touring basketball team was established to promote sales of the company's all-star basketball shoes. By this point, numerous professional basketball players were soon wearing the all-stars. The shoes also became popular among younger basketball players, including athletes in the Olympic Games and even American soldiers in the 1940s. Converse All-Stars were actually the official shoe of the Olympics from 1936 to 1968. And interestingly enough, during World War II, All-Stars were the official athletic training shoes of the U.S. Armed Forces. That's a fun little fact. Yeah, who would have thought that uh, the Russian military (laughs) were not the only military uh, personnel to wear sneakers or tennis shoes? Nope. (laughs) Apparently uh, the Americans were doing it before the Russians. Doing it first, yep. So by the 1950s, Chuck Taylor All-Stars had become truly a standard among high school, collegiate, and professional basketball players alike. Now what's pretty cool is that simultaneously there's another sneaker collaboration story that's happening in the U.S., It's also one of the first examples of collaboration, and it's the story of a shoe that becomes, over time, it actually becomes very closely intertwined with Converse itself. So around this same time period, around the first half of the 20th century, there's a man by the name of Jack Purcell. And in 1935, Purcell had designed a low bleached white canvas and rubber badminton sneaker in conjunction with the BF Goodrich company. And yes, that's the BF Goodrich um, that's known for rubber, known for tires. Um, They also made shoes. And these shoes were known as PF Flyers. So this shoe provided better support on badminton courts because of the steel shank embedded in the heel. For most of the 20th century, Jack Purcell's tennis sneaker was required wear on all grass and clay tennis courts in the United States, and at least for a time, also on newer, all-weather asphalt courts as well. Now, unlike basketball sneakers, Jack Purcell sneakers had perfectly flat soles. There weren't any grooves that could tear up the clay or the grass. And everyone from the youngest student of the game of tennis all the way up to professional and amateur tennis stars on the international tour wore Purcell sneakers. No other company made them. Um, But by 1972, Converse purchased PF Flyers, which fast forward even further, and PF Flyers is now actually owned by New Balance. But in 1972, they were purchased by Converse, along with the trademark rights of Jack Purcell sneakers. And what's interesting about this story is the way that these two brands um, and these two separate sneaker collaborations became intertwined and joined. Also, even the appearance of the shoe itself. Jack Purcell sneakers, they actually very strongly resemble Converse Chuck Taylor All-Stars. 
except that Purcell shoes have somewhat better arch support and cushioning, and they have that trademark blue toe smile in the front of the shoe. The classic Purcell tennis sneakers are virtually unchanged in appearance from their heyday in the 1950s and 1960s, when they were first affectionately nicknamed Blue Tips and Smileys. But as you can imagine, the price tag on the shoe has dramatically risen from about $20 in 1965 to as much as $150 or more today. Since those early collaborations of Chuck Taylor and Jack Purcell's, there were many partnerships in the sneaker world that absolutely paved the way for collaborations as we know them today. You see Walt Frazier's Puma Clydes. You see Michael Jordan's partnership with Nike that spawned the Air Jordan brand and line of shoes. Run DMC had a very close association with Adidas, which really broke sneakers into the world of hip hop. And also you see the Air Force Ones, all of which all these shoes are prime examples during this period of the 70s through the early 90s of uh, really sneakers beginning to look outside into the outside world of athletics and music and culture to look for collaborators. And um, you listeners out there that are interested in learning more about this, feel free to go back. We have an episode specifically on Air Force Ones, which gives some really great background and insight about how the specific about the specific part that Air Force Ones played in really changing the collaboration game um, in the sneaker world, specifically with artists and urban sneaker shops. And also worth a listen, if you're interested, is our ongoing series of episodes that highlight specific models of Air Jordans, which gives great insight into how each model and the Jordan brand as a whole changed the sneaker, sneaker marketing, and cultural landscapes in general. And so far, we're kind of working through those Jordan episodes chronologically. And so far, we have an episode for the Air Jordan 1, 2, 3, and 4. And pretty quickly here, we'll be having an episode coming out about the history, background, everything on the Air Jordan 5 model. So super excited about that. Anyway, sneaker collaborations continued to become more widespread in the 90s through the early 2000s. One huge game changer was a little skate shop that opened up in Manhattan in 1994, which, you know, no one could have possibly fathomed the impact that this store and the brand associated with the store would have in sneaker and fashion culture. Jared, do you have any idea as to what that skate shop might be? (laughs) Uh, I supremely have no idea. So you do know. So, um, so that would be, like Jared said, the Supreme Skate Shop, opened in Manhattan 90, in 1994, and they really began to quickly change the collaboration landscape because right out of the gate, they began collaborating with some real heavy hitters like Vans and Nike, um, even in the mid-90s. So and what's, what's pretty remarkable is uh, some of these collaborations, some of these early collaborations that Supreme uh, entered into, they're still going strong to this day. You know, so we're talking that some of these are over 20-year-old partnerships that that they're still doing. So 
Oh yeah, pretty crazy. It feels like there's a new, a new Supreme Nike collaboration coming out almost weekly, if not monthly. Yeah, well, or at the very least, they do it. Uh, you know, they. I think they usually do. Well, for sure, they do at least one Nike collaboration a year. Sometimes they do two. Uh, you know the way Supreme works. Not to get off track here, but they have what they call a spring summer season, and that usually starts early in the year, like in around I think January, February. Um, and then they have a fall winter season that starts in the fall. And usually at least once a year, if not once a season, uh, yeah, they collaborate with Nike. So Nike's definitely one of the regular collaborators with Supreme. Yeah. And those collaborations, they're not for everyone, but some of them are pretty rad. They're bangers. Um, Bangers. Absolute bangers. (laughs) As people in the fashion world might say. Or the the hype beast world, I guess would be more. Mid nineties, you see the birth of Supreme. You see a huge shift and uptick in collaborations. But if you fast forward twenty five years to today, and you see a list of sneaker collaborators collaborations that is virtually endless, and has some very high profile, heavy hitting names, and. Uh, We've got a list right here that highlights just some of the ones off the top of our head that if you were to go online and look for some of the hottest sneaker collaborations going on right now, these are going to be the names that you see pop up over and over and over again. And these are just really, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, Jared, do you want to go through and read the names of some of these collaborators that are in circulation today? Absolutely. So, yeah, just a few of these names of the kind of the hot collaborators, the hot collaborations going on right now. Uh, They would be names such as we've got Virgil Abloh, Fear of God, of course, Supreme that we've mentioned, Kanye West, Pharrell, Missy Elliott, Eminem, Chanel, Missoni, Damian Hurst, Bobito Garcia, Undefeated, Levi's, Carhartt, Travis Scott, Dr. Wu, Jeremy Scott, Travis Barker, The North Face, Stance, Coca-Cola, Stussy, Fragment, Disney, Diamond Supply Co., Wu-Tang, Bape, Stash, Dernbecker Children's Hospital, Sakai, Tom Sachs, OVO, Louis Vuitton, and the list actually goes on and on and on. But I would say those are definitely some of the biggest names in the collaboration game right now. I love it. Yeah. Um, those are definitely the names that are going to pop up if you go and do even just some cursory digging on sneaker collapse. So in short, though, it goes without being said that sneaker collaborations have absolutely exploded in terms of both quantity and variety of collaborators. Uh, some collaborations, uh, what I think is actually kind of cool are the different types of collaborations you see because some of the sneaker collaborations out there, they are entirely rethinking the silhouette of a shoe. You know, think the Yeezys, something like that. Some, um, but some are really sparking renewed interest in existing or heritage shoe models. Think, you know, I'm thinking the endless collaborations, iterations you see of silhouettes like the Air Jordan 1 or the Vans Skate High. Um, but you can find, I feel like you can really find beauty in, in both types of, of sneaker collabs. So, Jared, I have a quick question for you. 
um, kind of after having gone through a little bit of this background of sneaker collabs and and thinking of some of the examples that are out there today, um, one question that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is why do you think sneaker collaborations are so sought after and why do they resonate so much with the general public? I mean, they're just such a hot ticket item um, that, you know, a lot of times these are things that many people can't even ever get, but everyone is super hyped about them. Gosh, that's a good question. And, you know, I think there's a lot of angles. There's a lot of ways that this question could be answered, uh, you know, a couple of which we've already kind of just briefly mentioned, um, you know, as far as the the collaborations, um, you know, telling or driving a story or a narrative um, you know, kind of the cultural aspects, but just a couple of thoughts I have, I guess, with that, I think certainly collaborations, well, they're sought after by the collaborators themselves, a, one thing we've already mentioned because, um, you know, because of the visibility and kind of along with the visibility, which would be my point B, I guess, with this is that I think collaborations heighten brand awareness and, it's not just that they heighten brand awareness, they, they heighten brand awareness to a potentially whole new sector of, uh, you know, potential consumers that maybe didn't know much about a particular brand or, you know, wouldn't even think of, of buying from that other brand. But when these when two brands come together, you know, when they have a common story to tell or, or they have some common history to fall back on it's really a way to, you know, for example, you know, when Nike collaborates with, uh, you know, whoever, like if Nike collaborates with, um, you know, Pendleton, for example, everybody knows about Nike, but maybe a lot of Nike's typical customers have never heard of Pendleton, you know, so to companies, especially like Pendleton, a collaboration would be sought after because you do a collaboration you know, the collaboration is hot. People want to buy it. There's hype generated around it. And all of a sudden people know about Pendleton. They know the name, you know, which could potentially uh, turn into sales and business and, and a whole new market market sector for Pendleton down the, down the road. So again, it's important, I think, to the collaborators themselves because of the visibility and because, uh, because of brand awareness that it brings. Now, I think it's a bit more complicated or or a bit more um, varied of an answer as to why are collaborations important to the consumer, to the general public. And again, um, you know, we can discuss further and we've already discussed a little bit about, you know, that people love to people love a good story. And oftentimes, especially the collaborations that hit the ones that do really well, you know, they often kind of drive or tell a, a cool story. But I think another reason that they resonate is just human nature is such that people like to feel special. And unfortunately, one way that people, you know, make themselves feel special is they try to elevate themselves above other people. And one way that you can elevate yourself above others is if you own something that is very rare, something that is sought after, something that is hard to get. You know, it's like, I don't know if it's like a psychological thing that somehow by owning this rare, this special thing that no one else has, you know, like you feel good about yourself. Maybe it's a dopamine hit or something. You feel like you're kind of elevated over other people. So 
um, you know, perhaps a less noble reason would be would be that that it, it makes people and not that it's a bad thing. I mean, it, it's okay to feel special. It's okay to have something cool and rare. I mean, that's what essentially people that collect anything. That's what a collection is: is you're trying to collect things that that typically might you know be a little rare or hard to get a hold of. Um, but I don't know. Like they might be a bit disjointed, but those are just kind of a couple of thoughts that I had as far as why collaborations resonate with people and, and why they're important to people and why, um, you know, why they like them. I don't know if, did you have any thoughts to go along with that or, or perhaps well, any, I think, any, I think any you, different takes? I think on, you hit right on the head. Well, I think the thing with, I think the thing with these sneaker collaborations too, is it's really easy fodder for like social media. Oh yeah. Uh, because it's something where not only do people feel special that they got it, but they have such an, scoring you know a cool sneaker collab it's an easy thing to sort of flaunt in front of other people um super easily just like on instagram and i think um that knowledge makes it even more appealing like i think a lot of people get shoes you know literally because they just can't wait to to get it on the gram and to show everyone you know what they copped I think that's uh, sadly enough, you know, I, I have nothing wrong with a super cool looking shoe, but I think what's sad is I mean, obviously there's no science behind this or no statistic, but from what I gather and just from observations, I feel like a lot of people, they're, they're also snatching these up, not because of an actual appreciation for this shoe as much as, yeah, they're being told that this is unique and important. And so they believe that it's unique and important and they need to get it. And in their mind, they're just really thinking, I really need to show people that I got this. Um, and, and that's really, you know, the big driving factor behind them snatching up these, these sneaker collabs, eating them right up. But right. not to sound, I mean, <laughs> kind of going a little Right. Dark. Not that that's, you know, like everybody, you know, you do you, you know, whatever your reasons are for, for buying a particular shoe or collab. I'm not going to lie. If I, you know, if I copped a pair of the Supreme Air Jordan 5s, I would probably want to post that as well. I totally get it. <laughs> um, for sure. And then, of course, you have the people that are interested in collaborations purely for profit reasons. And in my opinion... Those are the people that kind of ruin the sneaker game, a.k.a. I'm talking about resellers. You know, that they don't care about if it's a cool shoe or if it has a cool story or anything like that. They don't even care about elevating themselves above other people or feeling special. They just see a potential to flip the shoes for a ton of money. And so and I, I think the reason why I'm bitter is because the last couple of weeks <laughs> I've actually tried to to buy some collaborations that released and I, I lost out. I wasn't able to secure any pairs at retail. And I, I do think a lot of it is because resellers, they come in with their bots and they snatch them all up and then they turn around and sell them for five times the price. <laughs> so I think that's just me being sour grapes. But um, I guess my point is, is that, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, there's all sorts of reasons and motivations as to why people are interested in collaboration shoes, some more noble than others. But um, yeah, that, that's partly why I think collaborations are interesting to talk about and to really look at is because of all these different motivating factors and, and things like that. So, yeah. And to kind of bring it back full circle, 
one of your first points about the whole storytelling side of it. You know, this is probably a bit of a romanticized lens through which to look at a, a simple sneaker collaboration. But I do think there is something to be said, though, about the aspect of how sneaker collaborations, which, you know, again, in my opinion, many of them are virtually wearable pieces of art. I think they, they really do help to tell a story which does resonate with people the same as, um, you know, a, a, a modern, a piece of, of actual, you know, a painting or a car or a beautifully designed home. Um, you know, there's lots of different forms of art. And I think a well-executed and well-thought-out sneaker collaboration is definitely qualified as a piece of art. And sometimes those stories, when they're authentic and well done, I really do think that they speak to people, even subconsciously a little bit, and they help to sort of connect all of us, you know, and help us remember that for all of our uniqueness, there are commonalities between all of us that, um, you know, common experiences we all have. And sometimes those, those things are realized through these wearable pieces of art that you can, you know, literally put on your feet. Um, but anyway, all in all, I guess the main point is that yes, sneaker collabs have truly allowed sneakers to pass into that territory of being pieces of art more than just a simple chunk of leather and glue. And we could go on for literally hours before we could possibly touch on all of the collaborations that are actually in circulation today. Um, but we don't have the time to do that. So what we're going to actually do, if, if you're down for this, Jared, if we want to just bring it down to a little bit more personal level, excuse me, a little bit more of a personal level for a few minutes, and maybe we can just talk about some of what our favorite sneaker collabs are today. If Heck yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, okay. let's do it. Sounds fun. Thank you for listening to part one of this two-part episode on sneaker collaborations from the Immortal Souls podcast. Catch us next time for part two.